morning again. What a great time of worship to be able to remember that no matter what we're going through, that it is well with our soul. We can have the peace that Jenna talked about that we celebrate in this Advent season in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Well, as we know, Christmas time is upon us, and I want to ask you guys a question this morning, and this is a little audience participation, so just feel free to shout it out. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Let me hear them. What do we got? Okay, I heard Home Alone. What else we got? Polar Express. Miracle on 34th. What else? It's a wonder. Okay. It's a wonderful life. That's the way the last said that there. Uh, any diehard fans? Does diehard count? Is, okay, you got somebody in the back thinks diehard's a Christmas movie. Well, my family, uh, we kind of have an ongoing debate about Christmas movies uh, because some of them, uh, some parts of the family really love, others don't. But there's one Christmas movie that brings us all together. And it is by far the best classic Christmas movie that has ever existed. And it is The Muppet Christmas Carol. All right? How many of you guys have seen this? If you have not seen The Muppet Christmas Carol, you need to watch it this season. It is, it's funny, it's heartwarming, it's touching. And of course, it's the story that we all know so well with a little twist. And so if you were here uh, last Sunday at our uh, our dinner that we had together to celebrate the Christmas season, you saw that I actually have an affinity for Kermit. Uh, If you were here and you know what that means. Um, But I love the Muppets. I grew up with the Muppets, and it's just been awesome that our family's been able to share this together. And so uh, Kira's home for school for the holidays now, and so we're going to have an opportunity sometime, hopefully this week, to watch together a Muppet Christmas Carol. But we're all familiar with the story, right? This mean old guy by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge doesn't seem to care about anything but himself, accumulating his wealth. And he's visited by three ghosts, the ghost of Christmas past, Christmas present, and of course, the Christmas future. And each of these ghosts reveal to Scrooge a truth, something that exists in his world that he hadn't seen. And what he learns from each of these encounters, it drastically changes the course of his life. Now, when I share this this morning, it won't be nearly as eloquent as Dickens and not as entertaining as the Muppets, but I want us to walk through our own carol today. And I'm calling this a Corinthian carol. Hoping for some more laughs from that one. <laughs> We've been talking over the last few weeks that we live in, the, live in the tension between the already and the not yet. And there's a huge lesson that we need to learn in this, just as Scrooge did. And I'm going to give you the lesson, give you the punchline, even before we get into the rest of the message here this morning. And it's this. You are not who you were but you are not yet who you will be. You are not who you were, but you are not yet who you will be. So we spent the last few weeks talking about this concept of the already, not yet. And I encourage you, if that's familiar to you or unfamiliar to you, this is your first time with us in a while, uh, go back and take a listen to those first two messages to help give you some understanding and some context to that. But we're living basically in the space between the time that Christ first came and the time that Christ is coming again. And so as we prepare for Christmas, we aren't just preparing to celebrate Jesus' birth. We're symbolically preparing our hearts and souls to be ready for what is not yet. So let's look at this first ghost that Scrooge is visited by. He's first visited by the ghost of Christmas past. And he's taken back to scenes of his past. And we don't get a lot of details, but we see that his childhood was not quite what all of us would have longed for. Uh, He's distant from his family 
things don't go quite his way. We see later on he has some, some issues with his sister. Something happens. But in a brief moment of happiness in his past, Scrooge revisits his first employer named Fizzywig, or in the Muppets, it's Fozzywig, right? And there's a big Christmas party that his employer has every year to celebrate. It's lavish. It's extravagant. It's exactly the opposite of what we think of when we think of Scrooge. And at this party, something dramatically changes in Ebenezer's life. He meets the love of his life. Her name is Belle. And if you've seen the movie or seen the Muppet Christmas Carol or read the book, they spend the evening dancing. They get to know each other. They eventually fall in love. And then the ghost of Christmas past visits another moment with Ebenezer and Belle. And it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes of his life. Belle breaks up with him. As a matter of fact, this scene was so sad that it was cut from the Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, If you've seen the theatrical release, you would have seen that. But later on, it was taken out. Now, luckily, Disney has added it back in this year. So if you've never seen the movie, you're going to see it in Disney Plus on its entirety. But this scene was taken out because they said it was too sad for children. It was heartbreaking, this pain that Ebenezer had to go through. And Belle in The Muppet Christmas Carol sings this song called The Love is Gone. And in the book, Ebenezer is told by his love, lifelong love, Belle, these words as she breaks up with him. She says, you fear the world too much. And fear doesn't mean scared of it. You long for it. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. In other words, the things that he once held dear, he's let go of and something has been consuming him. And this memory of the past is too much for Scrooge. And so he begs the ghost of Christmas past to take him away from this. And we don't really get a lot of insight into Scrooge's past of why he changed. But we get some hints of the hurts and the pains from his past. We see that his father was distant. His family life was not what it should have been. In the book, we see that he loses his sister. And I want to ask you guys, how many of you have something in your past that you wish was different? Show of hands, yeah. I think all of us have something in our past that we wish was different. And it might have been something that happened to us. It might have been something that somebody said or that somebody did. Or it might have been something that you said or did. I know in my life I have plenty of both of those. Things that have happened to me and things that I've caused that I wish in my past could be different. There were moments in my life, even some this week, that I wish could be like Scrooge's past. And just as Bell said, my nobler aspirations have fallen off and some other passion is engrossing me. I get consumed with something else, something that didn't matter. The Apostle Paul has something to say about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be looking a lot in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so if you want to open up your Bible, I encourage you to do that this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 2. Paul says this, he says, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of of God. And he goes on in Romans, he says, do not let sin control the way you live. 
Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve him. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. See, this thing that Paul regrets in his past, they don't go away. He says, I've renounced them or I've rejected them, but they're still part of his story. But they're no longer his master. They don't control him. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, Scrooge's past didn't go away. The hurtful Christmas memory of Belle ending their engagement. All those years that we know happened of him taking advantage of others, of living only for himself. All the pain of the past and the mistakes that he made would still be part of Scrooge's story. New life didn't remove those. They killed them in his life, but the effects were still there. See, our past doesn't disappear, but it doesn't have to determine our future. Our past, the mistakes, the regrets, the things that have happened to us, they don't go away, but they don't have to determine our future. Because we know, as in Romans 8, 28 says, we know that all those who love God, everything works together for good. Those who are called according to his purpose. See, our past doesn't disappear, but it doesn't have to determine our future. Scrooge is then visited by the next ghost, the ghost of Christmas present. And he sees all the people around him that are celebrating and all the love that's around him that's even available to him that he just walks away from, that he doesn't pay attention to. And in the 1984 movie, the ghost of Christmas present says these words to Scrooge. He says, you've gone through life not noticing a lot. See, Scrooge is so focused on what didn't go right in his past and what he wants so much to have in the future for himself that he misses the present and he's missing the moments that he's in. Is anyone else guilty of this? We talked a little about this the past few weeks, how it's easy to miss Christmas in the midst or to miss Christ in the midst of Christmas. It's the constant process of distraction, right? There's these things that happen that just keep our focus off of what Christmas is all about. And we're focusing on the wrong thing. And what does Paul tell us that we're supposed to be focusing on in the present? He goes on just a few verses later in verse 6. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of his knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. And then he goes on in verse seven, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're gonna talk more about this light next week. But Paul tells us that this light, this amazing treasure is put in what he says is a jar of clay. Now, besides being a really cool band from the 90s, jars of clay had a distinct meaning here as Paul uses it. In the first century, they were kind of like uh, our styrofoam cups. They were of little value. 
They weren't what we often think of today as something that might be precious or even artistic in nature. Nobody collected them. They were disposable. And Paul's saying, this amazing thing is available to us, this light of Christ now, but it's put in something that on its own doesn't have intrinsic value. See, it's significant that we're given the gift of Christmas light, but it's housed in us. And Paul isn't trying to tell us that we have no value, but that our value isn't in our bodies or our bank accounts or our accomplishments. That our value comes from what's inside us, not what's on the outside. Last week, we talked about the joy that Mary had when the Holy Spirit came upon her. In that same Holy Spirit, the light of Christ is in each of us who have made a decision to follow Jesus. So we don't need to be distracted by the things of this world. Our life in the present isn't about the jars of clay that we live in, but about what's inside, the light of Christ shining out of us. And even more so than in Paul's times when he wrote this, we're people who treat the external with so much more importance than the internal. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about our bodies, or that we shouldn't take care of them, that we can't look good. But in the reality of the already, not yet, this is just a jar of clay. It's not what's really important. Living not just for my body, but for the things of this world. When Paul talks about that later on, we're going to read this in a moment, he's talking about the inner and the outer. He doesn't just mean your body. He's talking about the things of this world. They aren't the prize. The prize is Christ within us. See, in the tension of the already, not yet, we recognize that we have the light of Christ. He says, not in the future, in the present. We have it now. But we experience that light in the tension of the not yet. We're in fragile jars of clay. But we have the light of Christ now in the present. But even at Christmas, it's so easy for us to get focused on the wrong things. And we might say that Jesus is the reason for the season. We might even post memes about how we need to put Christ back in Christmas or how the world has commercialized Christmas. But I wonder how many of us are living for Christ in the present this Christmas. I'm Ryan, and I love Christmas. To me, Christmas is about, well, it's about the birth of Christ. December can be so busy and stressful. It's nice to end the month with a special day. Sure, we do the Santa stuff. It's fun. Our kids love it. But it's not all we do. We find time to tell others about our Lord, what he did, what his sacrifice cost. The night before Christmas, we read the story of the birth of Jesus. When my kids go to bed, they're thinking about how good he is. Christmas Day is so amazing. I can barely wait for it to get here. I love giving presents. And I really love spending time with my extended family. At some point during the day, 
it's good to slow down and remember who Christ is. And you know, I hope this Christmas I can just take time to reflect. Either way, I know what this day is really about because my Christmas is real. How many of us have a plastic Christmas, right? We want intellectually to focus on the right things, to live in the present, to let the light shine out of us, but we're so distracted. And there's one more ghost that visits Scrooge, and this is the one that scares him the most. He sees what's going to happen if things don't change. He sees the people around him that will suffer if he doesn't do what he knows he should. He sees the death of Tiny Tim, and he's faced with his own mortality. But it's not the fact that Scrooge dies that scares him. In every version of this, that's not what really bothers him. He actually does recognize, as much as he's stored up treasures for himself on earth, that he's going to pass away, that his clay is just a jar of clay, or that his body is just a jar of clay. It's not the fact that he dies that scares him. It was that he died and that was it. That his life had no meaning. It had no lasting effect other than people making fun of him after he was gone. See, he thought that what he was living for mattered, but like that video, it was just plastic. And when he wakes up, though, he's not afraid. That's what's amazing about this story. He's determined to change. John Stott in the Preaching the Word commentary said this about these passages we've been reading in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians. He says, it will become ever so clear in this passage that what Paul longed for and believed about the future had everything to do with how he lived in the present. And it's exactly the same for us. Our beliefs and our hopes for the future exert a control that dictates how we live in our present lives. He says, our futures determine the present. So what does Paul say about living our present in light of the future? He says in verse 16, he says, therefore do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, so in other words, in the already, in the space between, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we are not found naked. For when we are in this tent, we groan and we're burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who is fashioned for us this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Paul has talked about our life as a jar of clay, not on its own worth much, but when it has the light of Christ in it, has such intrinsic value. And here he says that our life is like 
this earthly tent. And a tent, as we know, is not something you live in permanently. It's once again something that's just temporary. But he says what we're looking forward to is a building or a house, our permanent residence. After, between the already and the not yet, once we cross over into the not yet, into eternity, then we have what really matters, the thing that will last. See, Paul had a different perspective on life. And after being visited by the ghosts, Scrooge did too. He realized that he had been looking at his present reality from the wrong perspective. See, as we live in the tension of the already not yet, it's easy for us to lose that perspective because it seems so far away. That space between Christ coming and Christ returning, him coming again, just seems so long. Paul thought in this passage here that it was coming even in his lifetime. It just seems like the space between that is so distant that we often lose hope. And here and now, we forget that we should be living with eternity in mind. See, Paul's action in the present are based on his perspective of the future. Now, I left mine down there, but if you've got a cell phone, would you take it out? I don't know, preacher never asked you to take out your cell phone. But take out your cell phone, open up your camera app. Now, if you are already on your cell phone scrolling TikTok or Facebook or something, let's do this. Just open up your camera app and just point it at me. And I want you to just take it. And you know how you, most of your phones will work this way? You can just pinch to zoom, right? Zoom all the way out and you get a big picture of this stage. You can see everything that's going on. You can see where you're at. But do this for me. Just pinch it as close as you can get. Depending on your phone, you might be seeing just my face or my belly or my belt buckle if it was here. You know, I mean, you can get in really close with some of those. And this is the way that many of us are living our life, completely zoomed in. You can take a picture if you want, it's fine. Just completely zoomed in, living in the present without paying attention to the context around us. We're so focused in, we have the wrong perspective. We can't see what's happening around us. We can't see in light of eternity how our present is affecting the things around us. And as we live in the space between Christ coming and Christ coming again, we recognize that if we surrender our lives to Jesus, our past doesn't have to define our present, but our present determines our future. This was the lesson that Scrooge learned. This is what Paul is telling us here. Our past doesn't define our present, but our present, how we're living now, that determines our future. We are not who we were, but we are not yet who we will become. And can we, like Scrooge, keep Christmas all the year? Not just in this season, but can we be people who are living in light of eternity in the space between the already and the not yet? Can we be living in light of the future? Now, Paul has something extraordinary to tell us about this future. He goes on in 1 Corinthians. So we're gonna go back a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this about the future. He says, what I am saying to your brothers and sisters is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Those jars of clay, that tent, that's not what it's about. He says, these deep dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. 
We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed from these jars of clay to our heavenly bodies. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the reality that Scrooge faced. That he would at one time die. But Paul tells us that's not the end for us. Our life can have meaning beyond that. Not just because of the things that we've done for the people around us, but because of the Savior that lives within us. We are not who we will be, but we are not yet who we will become. We've been talking this morning about a character named Scrooge. But that's not his only name, right? It's his last name. And the name Scrooge has taken on more than just a name. It's, it's actually kind of like a title now, right? It's a verb if you're being a Scrooge. It's someone who isn't, in Dickens' words, carrying Christmas in their hearts all the year. But what about his first name? What's the meaning of Ebenezer? It's not a word that we hear very often today. You might have heard it growing up in church if you sang the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. But the word Ebenezer, it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 7. The Philistines had stolen the Ark of the Covenant and the country was in disarray. Things were not going well. And it was then, the Bible tells us, the people turned their hearts back to the Lord. And the Israelites made a sacrifice. And when the Philistines attacked, we know that the Israelites, they won. And to mark this victory, Samuel set up a stone and he named it Ebenezer, saying, the Lord has helped us. See, an Ebenezer is a reminder. It's a marker for us. It tells the story of God's faithfulness and our repentance. It's a marker of transformation and conversion. It marks the time when our hearts accept Jesus the light of the world into our jars of clay. That becomes our Ebenezer. And so we read about the reminder that we have in our present reality, Christ's light in us. We talked about this last week, the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, even our messed up jars of clay and living within us. Emmanuel, that God is with us, that God is in us. But we have another reminder, another Ebenezer that we celebrate every week. If you've got your communion elements, I want to encourage you to take those out. If you're with us online, you could take those out as well. And This is an Ebenezer for us. It's a reminder of the reality that we just read. That one day, oh death, where is your victory? Oh, one day, oh death, where is your sting? That sin is swallowed up. That the love of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that he made on the cross for us, 
gives us a life beyond the here and now. That it gives us hope for the not yet. I encourage you, take the bread. And this bread reminds us of his body. It's an Ebenezer of his body that was broken for us, that was given for us. So that not just in the future, but in our present. Remember, Paul says that Christ is in us now. That we can have a taste of the already not yet kingdom of God. Let's take the bread. And we take the cup that reminds us of the blood of Jesus. That moment that was marked in history where he made a sacrifice for our sins. Let's take the cup. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that Christ made for us. And the reminder we have each week to celebrate the victory that you've had over sin and death. And because you've had that victory, we have that victory. That we know that our future, Lord, is not like Scrooge's, how it could have been. That our life has a meaning beyond the moment that we're in because if we're living in the present for the future, Lord, we know that that future is secure with you. So Lord, help us to be people who are looking not to the past, not stuck in the shame that we feel, the regret, the cycle of things that have happened to us, Lord, or that we've done. Help us to recognize that those are in the past and they're real and they happen to us. And Lord, many of them we regret. But help us to live in the present, not for ourselves, but in light of eternity, in light of the things to come. May we keep Christmas all year round. May our hearts recognize that the Lord is in us now, that Emmanuel has come down to us now. But it's just a foretaste of what's going to happen in the future. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, help us to live our lives today for the future that you've promised us tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. The church together said.